This is TV8 My Dinner, a podcast about entertainment issues brought to you by DarkCrazy.com. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to, uh, well, we've warned you. You're listening to TV Ate My Dinner. My name is Sean. I'm sitting here with Greg and Lynn. Hey. Hello. We are doing... Good morning. Yeah, good morning to you Aussies <laughs> if, you're, if you're somehow listening to us live while we record. Well, Ben is. Well, okay, so good morning, Ben. Well, he can't hear you because I'm on the headphones. Okay, well then... He just hears some weird one-sided conversation. The... Why is she talking about boobs again? Never. <laughs> it's always boobs when she's on that show. I don't know. It's America. That's how we do it. We like booze. Yeah. We talk, a lot of, we talk about what we like. It's a podcast. <laughs> Speaking of boobs, I'm looking at the Speaking Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition right now. Oh, really? Online. Um, yeah. SI.com. Oh, well. There you go. They're nice. They're nice. What? No, <laughs> we're not doing boobs again. No, we're doing this Frankenstein week, this week tonight. We're talking about Frankenstein. We really, yes, we are. Okay, yeah. We're, we're on tight schedule. Well, I, I'm, try, I'm trying not. Yeah, we should. We should try to keep on track this week. All right, we're talking Frankenstein tonight, though. We really are. Tonight it happens. We've we've teased this long enough. <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. We'll be talking we... Frankenstein the book and Frankenstein the movies. Yes, and the the various movies. There's one Frankenstein book. There's many movies. So we'll be comparing. What I find fascinating, just to, to cover the 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 We're talking the smallest... about some of them. Well, yeah, we can't talk about all of them. I haven't even seen all of them. I've been watching them for like a year since we started talking about doing a Frankenstein episode. I've been watching Frankenstein movies, and and I'm blown away. Just I go to Netflix and put in the word Frankenstein. And there's no end to movies that will continue to pop up. And there are only ones with Frankenstein in the title. There are a plethora of other movies without Frankenstein in the title that are Frankenstein or Frankenstein-ish movies. Yeah, if they didn't, if they didn't go to the trouble to to identify as Frankenstein, there could be others out there right now. But I have seen a ton of these movies, and that's one of the things I find fascinating because having read the book. You know, it's, it's a fairly straightforward book. I could see taking some liberty to make it you know, more entertaining because it's a first-person account. It's told in a sort of diary narrative. So I could see you wanting to step it up a little when you make a movie. But I haven't seen a movie that really covers the the, the spirit of the book as far as capturing what I think makes the book like what thematically work. And I find that interesting. That could be the only one. <laughs> I find it annoying rather than interesting. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I watch all these Frankensteins and I watch the um the one that, that 
uh, I was talking to you about I can't remember a thing right now. The and it the Andy Warhol one produced one and it's got nothing to do with Frankenstein. They don't even mention the name Frankenstein in the movie. Well, don't get me started on Andy Warhol and all his little antics anyway. Because <laughs> he bothers me. Haired. Well, no, I'm, I'm a fan. I like Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with the crazy hair. But Jim Jarmusch has like, like like an artistic, he has an artistic disposition that backs it up. When you got that look, you got to be a real artist. And Andy Warhol, you know, he did soup cans, and he had a lot of people making art for him, which I believe is, in these films that have his name on them, a lot of it is just, he's not directing these movies, is he? No, producing. Yeah, so he's just cranking crap out with his name on it, but it's really not, it's really not him making it, like, so I'm not a big fan of Andy well, Warhol in the first place. If someone else had made that, I wouldn't put my name on it. Yeah, exactly. Which just shows you he I wouldn't can't put even, my name on those movies. He doesn't way. even recognize good art to steal, <laughs> to be touted as such a, a big American artist. He brought in pop art, I guess was was what he he wrote in on this concept of pop art that he introduced or helped to introduce to the culture. I think the problem with Frankenstein is people seem to think so long as there's cadavers involved and some sort of mad scientist, it's Frankenstein. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting when you read the book is how Mary Shelley doesn't even really touch on the exact process. You know, like you're used to watching the, the Boris Karloff and you see like the lightning and they're capturing all that stuff. And all of that is really more or less a mechanism of the film that was grabbed by other films. But he actually says in the movie, stage. is that where it comes from, the stage? Stage, Sean, you haven't done the your stage. research. Well, I can't Netflix the stage productions, Hazel. Yeah, the stage version is the one that, that brought with the um, electricity and the fireballs and that sort of thing. That's where it came from. But the whole idea of the taking the body parts and sticking them together in the lightning, yeah, it's not in the book. So the stage productions of Frankenstein were the precursor even before there were movies. They were the ones who introduced this element that, that, for, that lightning was what resurrected the body. Yeah, they, they, they were the ones with the lightning and the big um, instruments with electricity going everywhere because that was what they used to do on stage. They used to make it really spectacular. So they had these big electrical Tesla instruments coils. throwing charge everywhere and, yeah, everything. So that's where it came. That's where that idea came from. I think um, the, the corpses were in the book, but it doesn't specifically state that, that Dr. Frankenstein stuck the corpses together. In the book, it makes it seem much more like he... Just uses the corpses to figure out how a body works, and then makes it himself. Yeah, she really, but it, it's not to make it delicate that she skirts over that. It's almost like to not have to explain what. It's sort of a brilliant device because in the book, Frankenstein doesn't want to tell people how he does it because he doesn't want his work reproduced, which is kind of awesome because then she doesn't have to explain the process by which this happens. But there's a lot of macabre elements as far as like gathering body parts and that. But yeah, I don't, I don't remember that either, where it's they're actually stitched together in that yeah, sort of way. Yeah, that's not the book. So you see that a lot in the movies, and 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 rightly so. I mean, the the Frankenstein film, the original one, really was brilliant as a movie. It just didn't have a whole lot to do with the book. <laughs> there were a it lot is a good of elements. movie. Yeah, I actually think well, by the, the original you mean the you mean the one with the big square-headed monster. Yeah, the you? Boris Karloff. Which, yeah, that's not the first one, though. Is that not the first film? So no. what's the first Frankenstein the f- film? 
It's uh, Frankenstein. It was made in 1910, and it is a silent film. Really? I haven't... And in all my stuff, I have not seen this one. Really? I saw the start of it, but it was... Um, you know, it's one of those really short silent films where pretty much everything that's going to happen is in the um, little description thing. So it says, Frankenstein goes away to college. And there's like a picture of him mm-hmm. walking and then Frankenstein the, the... discovers the secret of life. And then there's a picture <laughs> of him with his arms up and it's just like that. So <laughs> it, it's, I, I saw a very bad transfer of it. So well, yeah, maybe know, there's not much watching. to that one then. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's not forget the the, con- the contribution of uh, is it James Whale. Who does the, mm, the first two yeah. Frankenstein films? His movies were brilliant. Yeah, yeah he and he did Bride, and Bride. Bride has some elements where you question the credibility of the story, but it's a it's a really fun. You mean the little girls in glasses? Yeah, where he's like, I have some strange work too, and he pulls out a jar full of little people, and you're like, oh well, this is a strange aside for the film, but whatever. And then the, nothing more is said of that, which is much more bizarre than Frankenstein. It's like, oh, you made a body of corpses. I have miniature people in a glass. <laughs> okay, you win the crazy contest. It's just an excuse to put in this trick photography that then you had to do. Yeah, Look at I, the photography I can do. And I guess that's what it was. The, the, like that's like no worse than Avatar, awesome really. Special <laughs> effects, but uh, yeah, really. And modern films are just as bad as far as just working in special effects for no reason. Hang on, just a second. What, are you washing your dog or something? What's going on? <laughs> the zombies have got him. Sounds violent, whatever it is. I know. I'm back. What were you doing? It was a cockroach. Wait. Oh. <laughs> oh, that sounds just like... Have you seen that movie Ever After? A Cinderella story? Yes. And she gets up and has a big tantrum and then comes back and says, It was a bee. <laughs> that was a cute movie. I remember seeing that in the theater back in the day. I like it. Okay. Uh, have I seen it? I can't remember. It's got Drew Barrymore in it. Yeah, yeah. I just don't remember if I've seen it. Well, it came out a while yeah, ago. Yeah, I made it, Ben watch it the other day. It's I a made cute Ben movie. watch it the other day, and his biggest um, criticism was he didn't think the prince was handsome enough. <laughs> well, my criticism of that movie, not to divert for too long, but. It, they had an opening of that movie that made that made it seem like they were telling the true story of Cinderella, where they actually the say, "This is the, the the grim fairy tales are crap. This is the true story. Cinderella was actually Drew Barrymore hooked up with Leonardo da Vinci." To hook up. Like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> I don't mind movies. <laughs> and then that... he's walking on water and. Yeah, that they embellish is fine. That's that's movies, especially fairy tales. It's fair game, but don't like like when they made that King Arthur movie with Keira Knightley as Guinevere, and they came out and said this is the real story of King. You can't just say this is the real story and then just pour out crap. You can make crap. I like that movie. It can be crap. I like crap, but you can't come up. There's like movies that come up and say the real Frankenstein. You know. Like yeah, we either. had a documentary like that on TV the other day, and it was just like there was some doctor about a hundred years before Mary Shelley who was cutting people up, and they were like, "This is the real Frankenstein." It's like, no, it's not. That was just some crazy guy. Yeah, that's a, so it's sad to say that's not an original idea in today's world. It's kind of we're kind of weird. 
But there's, I think, oh, the there movie was one about called, werewolves I think, that made me so angry. I think one of the Frankenstein movies is also called The Real Frankenstein. It's hard to say. I have uh, watched so many. I saw one that was uh, that was produced by the guy who produced Dark Shadows, with mm-hmm. and at, with the same level of production quality. Frankenstein: The Real quality. Story. And yeah, that, that, that's the real story. A US that's movie, the one I'm thinking. It was both Fincy. A reasonably and, faithful adaptation told a pro- told appropriately in flashback from the Arctic, where the monster and Frankenstein have their final confrontation. Which One is significant true. change from convention is that rather than build the monster from fragments of corpses, Frankenstein grows him in a nutrient soup, in effect cloning his creation from himself, and thereafter Wait, having being being always empathetically linked with him. No, I didn't. This is see a classy production enhanced by some good performances, notably mm-hmm. Queen. That's not accurate. A lot of these that say that they're accurate is because they're more accurate than most of the others. The Dan Curtis one was actually pretty accurate, except that Bo Svensson, who did a pretty good job as the monster, made the monster too sympathetic. That happens a lot of times. Even in that you one that you and I monster. were talking about with uh, Luke, what's his name? Luke Goss? Is that the dude's name? Mm, yeah, the yeah, he played, Hel- the, um, he played the, the elf, elf in the in recent Hellboy, Hellboy 2. Luke Goss. Wasn't that the one? There was a Frankenstein production with him, and it had the guy... From the Dune miniseries, playing Doctor Frankenstein. Oh, okay. That was not oh, a bad. That was pretty close. It but, wasn't bad. But they still had this weird thing where they were trying to make the creature more sympathetic. I don't know how hard. I guess because people, and this is something that Johnny and I touched on a little bit when we were doing heroes and villains. What makes Frankenstein such an interesting story is that it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly who is the hero and who is the villain if if either can be either. And mm. I, I, think I don't in think movies, it's really necessary to pinpoint each one of them, but I think it makes it difficult for people who want to make movies about heroes and villains. Yeah, where they want to say... it's a very complex story. Either creature bad, Frankenstein good, or vice versa, but it is an extremely complex story because they both have these, these incredible shortcomings and they both have these sympathetic qualities. Because the you do feel for the monster because he's abandoned and he doesn't know right from wrong and he's a freak so everywhere he goes you get the concept that he's perhaps pieced together from 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 lesser parts because I mean just when people see his face in the book they just immediately start throwing crap at him like there's not even a consideration that they should even treat him as human. Well, she gives <laughs> she gives a fairly vivid description of his face, and it's, it sounds like it looks pretty dead already, like with black lips and yellow skin and that sort of thing. So it sounds like yeah, Frankenstein he, didn't actually do that good a job. He's got, like, yellow eyes and stuff. Yeah, he's, you know, he's just yeah. inhuman-looking in, in general. So you feel for him because he doesn't have much of a chance to learn how to be, behave, but, you know, you should know not to kill kids. You know, you should know the basics. You yeah, should well, know not to murder people. That's with conventional morality. I guess yeah. he's outside of conventional morality because how can he be inside of that when he wasn't created by a god? He was created by a very flawed man. Well, and that's so his argument in the him? book. He's very articulate in the book. and, and, and Yeah, it's weird, isn't he, it? And he does have a lot of philosophical, like, quandaries as far as, you know, his interest in, in theology. But he has the time. What I think is brilliant that Mary Shelley does in the book is she gives him this pinhole view into humanity to teach him social mores just so we know that he's not completely unaccountable. Like he has this moment where he views a somewhat functional family 
for months at a time and learns. And then they chase him with axes. Yeah, and then they reject him, and then that's where his rage comes from. But he views them long enough to learn right from wrong. So by the time he comes back and he's coming to find Frankenstein and he kills the boy, he knows what he's doing. He's, he makes it fairly clear that he knows what he's doing isn't right. Yeah, and he says it yeah, fairly in a fairly articulate way to Frankenstein. He's like, I know I'm a monster. I got it. You know, I'm not confused anymore. And that's what makes it interesting where you do feel like you should be sympathetic to the creature, but she goes out of her way to let you know that the creature's not off the hook, that he could have developed character, and, and he didn't. And he did it in the face of more adversity than most people have to face, but he's still accountable. He's not He's not without the knowledge of good and evil. Frankenstein, on the other hand, has every opportunity to be a good person, and he makes all the wrong decisions completely. Like so, it's... Frankenstein is a commentary on modern science in some ways. And, and, and the, the way that modern scientists... I mean, it's still going on in our time... They seem to think just because they can that they should. Yeah, that's... But um, Mary Shelley raises that big question, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Well, and that sort of laissez-faire morality of intellectuality where, you know, he never even stops to think. There's a fairly poignant moment, and, and you could say in one way or another, it, it's a sort of point of no return in the book where he's actually decided that he's going to make a mate for the creature. And he doesn't refuse outright. It's like he's agreed to do it. He's gone to do it. It's all this stuff. He's almost done. And the creature's coming out of the shadows because his work. This is a scene that I'm actually irritated has never been in a movie because it's one of the most horrific scenes I've ever read where he actually has her all strapped up and, and he's about to raise her up and the creature's coming like, oh, here it happens. Now finally I'm going to find love. And he changes his mind at the exact last minute and rips her to pieces. I mean, in the book, I mean, he, he really just tears it to absolute pieces where there's no coming back in front of the creature. And, and that, throws it in the water, if I remember correctly. And that's the moment where there's no reconciliation between the two of them. That's the moment where he's only Well, that's dedicated. when the monster's like, well, I'm going to go kill everyone you love. I'll see you, you on your wedding night. I could possibly love. Yeah. The scariest well, he, thing you could possibly he goes say. And kills his, he goes and kills his best friend and then gets him framed for yeah, it. Yeah, he kills Clairval. Uh, Clairval doesn't ha have a very good showing at all because he's there through most of the book and then he gets killed for without even knowing what's going on. Because one of the things that Frankenstein does throughout this book is he never lets anybody know that they're in any kind of danger. Like, the creature says to him, he gets mad because he sees Frankenstein rip up his potential mate, and he says, I'll see you on your wedding night. Now, any person who's not a total narcissist in the universe would take this as a threat to their loved one. Frankenstein believes that the creature's going to come for him, and he sits up all night away from his wife, armed, waiting for this to happen. And, of course, what happens kills his wife <laughs> Frankenstein is a there is useless one movie, I character I can't remember which morally. movie it is where you where you really see the monster go up there and just like pull out her heart and that I thought was really good yeah that's the that one a good with moment. The, uh, Robert De Niro is the, 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 the yeah and I think actually if you watch we've talked a little bit about Frankenstein Unbound the, the Roger Corman movie he's pretty he's pretty graphic in that 
in his treatment of Frankenstein's wife. Elizabeth, is that her name? Yeah, something like that. But Not that she's important, she's just a woman there to be killed. Oh, I know it. She's, I mean, she's like most of Frankenstein's friends and family where they're completely oblivious to everything that's going on, even when tragic and horrific things are happening. Well, that's the thing. He knows that the the nanny didn't kill the little boy, and he's like, "Well, I know it, and everyone knows it, but the police are going to charge her, and they're going to hang her, and well, there's nothing I can do." He has this he this sort of uh, obligatory moral moment where he's like, "Should I just go tell them that Justine couldn't possibly?" No, they'd never believe me, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, he lets himself off the hook. He kind of does, yeah. You know, well, you're, you know, you've got like the the slab and all that. You got all this stuff. You could totally tell them how you did it. You know, the, you get probably have notes. Well, you don't well, have your I mean, notes that's the because thing. In the these creature situations... has your notes because you abandoned them. But still, you know, you could probably make the case that they could believe you. Because well, whenever, that's the thing. When, in these movies, when... they're always like, well, I can't tell the authorities, or they try to tell the authorities, and the authorities don't believe them because they tell them exactly what's happening. Why don't they make up a story that sounds approximately true and just tell yeah, a story, make a tell story the police that, that there's some like crazy man running be. after me? Yeah, well, why don't, exactly. he, why don't he just the, say the, that I was in Paris or wherever I was? The, there's and some a psychopath mad after you, me. and he did that. Why do you have to say I made a you man don't have out to of dead things? Yeah, he can just say there's a crazy man following me, and he told me he was going to kill my family members, and now the boy turns up dead. I mean, that would have been a good enough story. They never do that in the movies. They always show it's vampires, and the police laugh he's, at them. He's they a patient say, of mine when man. I was trying to help him, and blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and I think that's telling because, you know, while he falls into this sort of melodrama, you can also tell that it's completely it's self-indulgent. Like, he just wants yeah. to feel like a moral person, but he never really considers putting himself on the line for this. You know, even down to not making the creature a maid. At that point, he has this bizarre fantasy that somehow they'll be able to reproduce and make other monsters, and that doesn't even make sense scientifically. Uh, like, it doesn't occur to him to make a maid that doesn't have a functioning uterus? Yeah, that would have been a good solution, rather than ripping her up in Rather than having him come up and go, oh, good, good, nope, not really, and <laughs> just rip her up. And... You knew that would have a the negative consequence. <laughs> I mean, there, was, there was no way to imagine that that would work out well for anybody. And, of course, the same night, you know, you're, you, he kills Henry Claval, so obviously that wasn't the best way to handle it. And all you do is go back home and try to figure out how to defend yourself while he's ripping up your, your wife. Oh, I think that's one of the reasons why they always leave that scene out of movies because it is so morally ambiguous. Because you are saying, well, this—if they're trying to make Frankenstein, Doctor Frankenstein, the baddie—it's, I mean, it's a horrible scene, isn't it? But they usually try to make him the goody and the monster the baddie, and that gives him a reason for being bad. So, I mean, they don't want to put that in the movie. Yeah, I think that takes away some of the the layers of the story that I find the most interesting because, especially like back in the '90s when Kenneth Branagh did a Frankenstein, which they oh this makes me crazy too, oh, which bad. they call Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, to sort of give it the validity that this is an actual adaptation, which it was close. Yeah, and there's the whole movie. thing with the lightning and everything. But I mean, I was like in tries. the beginning annoyed when he's sitting there underneath the lightning striking like right next to him, and they're laughing like it's fun. Look at that, lightning right next to me. Awesome. Yeah. Ugh, what a terrible movie. I'll give the this in the Mary in the book when Mary Shelley is talking about how he gets his flash of inspiration. It's from a lightning strike. 
She never says in the book that lightning is anything that, yeah, it's a literal flash of, of inspiration. She never well, says anything. Back in, the day. in fact, she suggests in the book that it's an almost chemical formula that he uses. Like, he doesn't say what it is, but it, in the language of him describing what he does, it's almost a chemical sort of formula that he's using to bring the the thing the the creature back the lightning is just like a moment when he's younger that sort of get, sort of mesmerizes well, him towards a, the sciences there is a storm going on while he's bringing the monster back to life or bringing mm-hmm. the monster to life and it's an emotional storm it's a metaphysical storm right, it's not a metaphorical an actual storm. scientific thing you know it's a, it's it's just like they always have someone you know whenever someone's breaking up in the movies they have a big rain rainstorm that's yeah. all it is, but people have taken that to mean that's how she brought it to life. Well, and that's a sort of – if you're wanting to come up with a visual, it's a sort of brilliant visual to use, but that, that doesn't come from the book at all. And, you know, I think that what I find interesting about the book that no movie has ever captured because they do flip-flop. They're like, oh, the creature's good and Frankenstein's bad or, or vice versa, but they never quite get that the two are mirrors of each other. And that Frankenstein, and this is what I find interesting about how the name Frankenstein gets applied to the monster. I don't think that this is this is a mistake. I think in a, in a way, Frankenstein and the creature are the same. I mean, he's created this mirror of himself. He holds himself as this sort of moral figure, but that's not true because he never shows any real concern for the people who love him, and they love him inexplicably. They love him unequivocally even though he just never even pays them any real attention or consideration. And he's yeah, created he's, he's this thing. He creates this thing that he has no love for either. Like he's passionate to see if he can create life, and the moment he does, he abandons it. He never, he never tries to follow through on this discovery or this idea. And, you know, so you can tell that the object of that passion was not real, like he never wanted to create life that he was going to have to take care of. He just wanted to see if he could. And the minute he found out he could, well, he was overwhelmed the, at that and, and abandoned it. Well, that's where the metaphors for the science mix with the metaphors for childbirth and parenting and bad parenting because he's the ultimate bad parent. I, I think you've got something here because you were you were saying something about Mary Shelley had a lot of trouble with like didn't she have a lot of uh, miscarriages or miscarriages? Well, yeah, when she ran off with um, who was it? Shelley, who was her husband, um, Shelley being her married name, she she yeah, ran Percy off with him Shelley at a very young husband. age. Yeah, well, she ran off she ran off with him at a very young age, and so her introduction to the whole sex thing was probably rather messy and rather painful because she was, I think she was like 13. And um, she had quite a few miscarriages in her teenage years. So her formative ideas about, um, you know, childbirth and, you know, baby making and the whole thing were that it was kind of messy and kind of painful. Grisly and sort of morbid, uh, Mm. which is interesting. If you you read the book and apply that, because you and I had this conversation before I actually read the book, and if you apply that to the descriptions that she uses in the book, it really does seem to hold up where you're like, you know. Well, she says a lot of dirty and disgusting and that sort of thing. But she kind of refers to the creation as an abomination, and it's pretty interesting when you think mm-hmm. of that in that context. And especially when you think of, you know, and she says in, in, in the foreword of the book, too, that there's this legend that is 
somewhat true, but but blown out of proportion, that they all had this uh, this bet to see who could write the best sort of monster story, scary story. Yep. And there's a movie called Gothic that is based on that. That is very that is somewhat embellished, but is much it is a fun movie. But according to her, you've got her, Byron, Shelley, and Polidori. We're all hanging out together, and they came up with this contest. Now she they you know as they did because they were people of leisure. They were writers for a living, whatever. Having a few drinks, probably telling some ghost stories. And yeah, telling ghost stories, and they come up with this idea of like which one of us can write the best ghost story. The 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 urban legend creates it as though they all wrote the story in one night, which is absolutely not true. And because of that, a lot of people say that Byron wrote what became Dracula, which is also not true. According to Yeah, he wrote some sources. lame little vampire story. Well, according and to people her, say, well, no, Oh, look, it's a vampire. That's Polidori. Polidori, who was not as famous, used to write, and he also kind of used to pass himself off in a weird way as Byron, where he used to write yeah, in such a, a way that people confused him for Byron, and that's where that vampire story gets attributed to Byron. But according yeah, to Mary Shelley, she says that both Byron and Percy Shelley got bored with the idea and abandoned it because they didn't want to write prose. They were both poets. And after, you know, kind of dicking around with it a little bit, they decided they didn't want to write his ghost story. And Polidori wrote well, his little Dracula, his little vampire story, that probably contributed to what became the Dracula story at some point, but not as impressive. But she was the only one who really came out, and she came up with the, the granddaddy of all monster stories, because even... The vampire story wasn't as original because vampires already existed. Mary Shelley created something brand new. And Frankenstein... Well, maybe what she's saying is that maybe that's why men can't have babies is because they wouldn't follow through. Only a woman... And that is sort of what she's saying. (laughs) Only a woman could write Frankenstein. Frankenstein is like your worst nightmare of having a baby. Your worst nightmare of creating progeny. You know, only the, 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 the idea of having something and creating something and having it be monstrous, you know, is a, a great metaphor for, you know, childbirth and fear of, of you know, parenting going wrong. And, and it really does and it's, work. It's, I think it's a very contextual book. I think to take it out of its context is a bit of a mistake because it it really is written at a time where science was taking off. So we were supposed to be able to explain these things, but there was still a lot of superstition and religion that guarded a lot of what they did. So the the idea of abominations and creating something wrong under the eyes of God was still big back then. Yeah, and and I think, you know, her being a female writer and being attributed with a certain delicacy, which may not have been true, it had to be more shocking for people to read this story that was a lot, was a grotesque, you know, very bold. So Frankenstein... It wasn't just inventive as a monster story. Frankenstein's considered one of the early science fiction stories because it, it did mingle the concept of the growing sciences with, with something that horrific in a, in a fictional sense. Yeah, it's very much a science fiction story. But also in Frankenstein, she created what became this sort of archetypical 
like zombie kind of monster, even though he wasn't represented that way in the book. That's sort of the, the movie Frankenstein sort of helped bring that concept about. But I think, in a way, Frankenstein as a character, and I mean like a, the titular monster, not so much Dr. Frankenstein, but as a concept, Frankenstein brought in a sort of modern horror that was that had not been seen before then. So it wasn't just a progenitor of science fiction, it was also a progenitor of horror as we know it today. You know, and Well she brought in not only the unstoppable sort of big blank machine that just wants to kill everyone you know, which is a precursor of things like Jason and all of those slasher killers. Mm -hmm. But she also brought in the mad scientist, who is also another staple of both horror and sci-fi. And she gave them both a sensibility that you've never seen in anything since then. And that's what I find the most fascinating is in this book, you see the archetype of the mad scientist, the archetype of the monster, but they're both told with such depth and such... You know, you know, sympathy that even though you can see both of their flaws, you can still kind of relate to them. And these characters, this type of character, had never really been introduced before. They're both then. very human, even the monster. Yeah, and in a way too human. And maybe that's why movies and, and adaptations have sort of two-dimensionalized them because we're a little bit afraid to see. Yes, they mirror each other, but don't they mirror us also? Yeah. And that's something that maybe we're a little, or at least filmmakers seem to be a little well, worried about trying to represent. Well, that's part of what she's trying to say, that whole mirror concept. With the framing of the book with the Arctic excursion and the guy who's traveling to find the pole, whether or not it kills him and kills, you know, the people at home waiting for him and love him. It, it's, it's showing that there are, you know, st you know, these things do apply to the real world, even with people who aren't, you know, creating monsters and that sort of thing. Everyone has their obsessions. And... and the misguided obsession where he can't be mm. that obsessed with with validating the love that people show, but he can suddenly become very focused in his rage. Like he couldn't have developed that sort of focus when it came to, I created this, I want to make sure that it's right with the world. He's all sickly and weak and, and crazed when, when he brings the monster into the world. He can't even think straight. But then suddenly, when every there's nothing left to live for, all of a sudden, he's all focus. And and I think that's a statement too. And I wonder, without getting too deep into it, that the Bride of Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein is very big in movies. You know, people talk about the Bride all the time. The Bride in the book, yes, is a concept that's mentioned, but she never lives at all. He never creates a bride for himself or the monster. But the the scene where he he essentially aborts her i mean it is very vivid and very and you and you wonder if there's there's a metaphor there also because he has this one sort of child that he's brought into the world and then he has this other that that he keeps out of the world and and like i said in the context of you see where she's had such such difficulty where she's already had miscarriages even multiple miscarriages you wonder if that's not what's going through her head when she imagines that, a scene that He doesn't gruesome. even care about it, though. That's the thing. He doesn't even care. He just rips it up and has no feeling for it. He's created these things, and he doesn't love them. He doesn't even care. Even in the book, it doesn't even he doesn't even mention, because the book is told from his perspective, he doesn't talk about it like he's creating life there. He's just doing something to placate the creature, and right when it's about to reach... Uh, 
it's about to be birthed. That's when he decides, no, no, this can't be, this can't live. And it is very dispassionate in the way that he, he, he just dispatches this other creation. He never even imagines for a moment that there's anything miraculous in his ability to have actually taken something that was not alive and, and make it alive. He just feels sorry for himself through the whole book. Well, that's one of the things that was really good in those early adaptations of the book where they did have him saying things like, "I'm, it's alive, I am like God. They actually made him take out some of those references to being like God. Oh, yeah, they're so in there now. Thing. So if you get it's the... A, it's a big thing. It's trying to, for a human to try to be God is blasphemous. Like, in it's very basic. It's it's him be, being creating stuff. Is he's, he's, he's being above his station. And I think that's quite important because he's not good enough to make yeah, and I think, like well, clearly not, because then I wonder, without getting too deep into the, the thought, theology, if maybe she thought, you know, that the creature's plight is sort of a metaphor for, for man, because, you know, people well, can feel the like title, they've Prometheus. been abandoned by their creators, you know what I mean? The Prometheus title really does suggest that. Yeah, and I like that. What's funny about the, you mentioned that is that the Frankenstein has sort of a literary cycle that is that is often neglected because, really, that's a reference back to that's another jab at her husband too, because you got like back in the days I think Aeschylus wrote Prometheus Bound, and then Percy Shelley came around and wrote Prometheus Unbound, and then she sort of creates this modern Prometheus story Frankenstein. And that's where, in the, if it, when we were talking about Frankenstein Unbound, that's sort of where the author draws that from and where that movie comes from. It's sort of like a completion mm. of that cycle, like a, a, a sort of homage to that, those earlier stories where it's, it's almost like she was trying to prove to Percy Shelley and Lord Byron that she was a real writer in writing this story. And the fact that she used a, a Promethean concept sort of solidifies that. Which, well, it's also her commentary on the theology of Prometheus being the one who tried to bring fire to the humans. I mean, the gods were ignoring us, and that's part of the point. I mean, um, Frankenstein ignores his creation. Is she saying make, say, making some comment about the gods ignoring humans and our plight? Well, and but what makes it a somewhat brilliant point is that she has she's making comment about how you know man feels like he's ignored by god and therefore he wants to do something godlike but then he repeats the same mistake whereas like yeah man says well god has abandoned us so i'll create something and he creates something like the creature and then he abandons it immediately as well well there's is, also that the, the the creature is like even more inglorious so the creature than how is we saying, feel like god abandoned me God's abandoned me. I'm going to go kill everything. I'm going to go do something nasty so God will notice me or so that God will feel bad about creating me. Where's something you come back? And in the, in the case of the creature, he has a unique opportunity where he actually, he discovers in, in the strange way because he's he's has this notebook, he actually knows the name of his creator. He can actually find his address. And, and it's a much more interesting, vicious story in that respect also. Greg, you still Perhaps there? it's um, fulfilling in yeah, that Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, Greg hasn't talked much. You've seen uh, Frankenstein. Yeah. What do you think about Frankenstein, Greg? Pretty good. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, honestly, I, I, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, you we, know, we, we, we talk for like an hour about all of the um, religious and theological implications, and you're like, it's yeah. okay. It's yeah, like it a statement on like feminism and abortion <laughs> and man against God, like all this deep crap. We're like, yeah, I guess, whatever. <laughs> I like the flaming. I like the flaming running lady at the end of that one. That was cool. She just like jumps off a cliff and stuff. Yeah, that cool. was cool. That rocked. Movies from the vault. While we're talking about Frankenstein, I might as well bust out a movie from the vault. Because with Frankenstein movies, I mean, I oh, could have mentioned ahead. Frankenhooker. <laughs> That's, we could have done Frankenhooker. Frankenhooker. Frankenstein has a lot of movies. <laughs> that actually from the vault. comes up. If you've been wanting to know what I've been quoting, I'm actually reading um, a, an encyclopedia of f- fantasy. And Frankenhooker is actually. The entry just before Frankenstein. <laughs> well, I can't recommend Frankenhooker highly enough. It Franken is Hooker? it's a perfectly horrible movie in every way. But what I was actually is that your movie from the vault? No, what I was actually going to talk about is actually it's nothing to do with the book. But but as a fan of The Bride of Frankenstein as a film, which I am, I, I think you know that movie as a deviation from the books is is sort of a triumph. And aside from the little people in the glass jars, which is weird, I, I, there's a lot going on in that movie that I really like. But back in the 80s, they decided to revisit the idea of The Bride of Frankenstein, and they made a movie called The Bride. Now, have you heard of this oh. movie? You yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, I thought That's this, the one with... Um... It's got Clancy Brown as, as the creature. It's got Sting as Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, that's oh, the one with Sting that. in it. That's a little weird. Well, it's, it's nothing weird. to do with the book. It's got a dwarf, so... Because it, it, it takes up... You, it it tries to follow the lead of Bride of Frankenstein, a film, and clearly they didn't really know much about the book. But it's it's a perfect movie about how they sort of they, they sort of make the, fr- the creature gentle and Frankenstein is vicious. But it is a fun movie, and, and as far as all the different interpretations of Frankenstein on film... You know, I really enjoyed it. Plus, it's got David Rappaport as his little midget friend. Yeah, that's, midget friend. That's fun. Every gentle giant should have a little midget friend. Maybe that's a statement on the book. If he had a little midget friend, it turned out different. Yeah, maybe she's made a little if midget friend. If he had friend, any so friends, it would have turned out different. Well, and that's the tragedy of the book, where he finally makes friends with the blind old man, and he's not two seconds into talking to him before someone starts hitting him with a stick. It's like, God, is it <laughs> was it that bad for people who were ugly that you would just walk into your dad's house, and if he was talking to someone who looked ugly, you just like, get out, get out. It's like, geez, even when your dad's going, no, no, he's a friend, just the whole time. <laughs> Take it easy. Like, geez, man, a little, a little biased. In my opinion, <laughs> I know I'm just a monster, but still, you're you're kind of a jerk. But I thought The Bride by itself was a good movie and a different. That that's what I would call a reimagining of the of the Frankenstein concept. And it takes you know Jennifer Beale is the bride in that, and of course you know he's made her this perfect beautiful creature. I saw another movie that was a modern retelling of Frankenstein where Vincent Perez. Is the the monster, and they do the same thing in that where it's like in modern times, and somehow the creature and Frankenstein have both lived into modern times, and 
Or they get frozen in the ice. Is that it? <laughs> That's I, usually what they do. They don't say. That's what makes it kind of watchable is they don't even try to explain the stupidity of it. And Frankenstein has made several creatures since then. And one of them is Michael Madsen, and he decides he wants to make himself pregnant. And <laughs> it's pretty pretty wild. It, it ends on a down note because I guess it was supposed to be a TV pilot or something. So they're kind of like, all right, let's go get that guy. And then the credits roll, and like, there's never been another thing after that. So I don't know what happened. <laughs> so like, I think if they want to do a modern <laughs> version, they could they could keep a lot of the modern concepts and just do a movie about cloning. Well, there's a lot of ways. The The problem is I'm not opposed to a reimagining of Frankenstein of any kind, especially reading the book. I can see the difficulty. And you can, after watching so many movies, I can see where they some people were trying and they just failed, but they were trying. They just It's a hard thing to capture. Modernizing it would mm. be fine. It's just you've got to understand the concepts of what you're dealing with. It's like Frankenstein and the creature are inseparable. They're, they're literally inseparable in the book. Everywhere he goes, the creature shadows him. Even though the creature has almost no way of knowing him, he finds how he finds out who he is, and then he follows him everywhere. He's Frankenstein's shadow, you know, but he's not his evil self because Frankenstein's not exactly good either. They're perfectly mirrored to each other. No, oh, that's what they do. If they did a modern one with the cloning, they'd make it a bad, an evil double, and it have a mustache. Ugh. Yeah, crap. That'd be bad. You either have. But I mean, if they did a really good one with the cloning and the whole debate around cloning and playing God that is still going on, it could be really relevant. It could be, and you really have to look at you. You got to give it to Mary Shelley, who put a lot of complexity into the story that modern storytellers don't understand. Where we we sort of give ourselves credit out of turn for being so much more sophisticated now, but. But really, read that book versus any movie made about it, and and there's no comparison. So she touched on something at a time where it wasn't even comfortable to talk about that sort of thing. Now you can say anything you want, you know. But she worked it all in there in a way that people didn't even know they were getting that. And to, nobody has matched that complexity or, or the layers of that story today. No, it's something that um, I'd, li- I'd like to see them do. There have been movies that have put bits of it in that, you know, haven't really come around to the full thing but you know you could take elements of it that still haven't been done you, like the whole aspect of the yeah the god aspect and the childbirth aspect and that yeah sort of thing. like what, what could be arguably the the more important aspects of it that have never been touched on like people keep... whereas filmmakers seem to think the most most important aspect is ripping people up <laughs> well and what's sad is you know the obvious they think well frankenstein good creature bad that's the obvious archetype so when they think that they're being clever they're like well we'll make the creature good and frankenstein bad it's like you're still being two-dimensional you're still acting like it's either or but when you have dimension to these characters where sometimes you feel bad for the creature but you still understand how horrible he is you also sympathize with with frankenstein but you understand the decisions that he's made and how they failed, then you get a layered story. And I've never seen this in any of the movies. Like Kenneth Branagh, that's his problem. Anyway, he made a really good movie. I I enjoy that movie a lot. But we've talked about this before where he has this, this shortcoming where he feels like he wants to play the character, so he wants to make the character heroic. And he gives Frankenstein this sort of heroic feeling. I mean, go back, watch his version of Hamlet, you know? Like, 
or Henry V. He makes heroes out of these characters. They're tragic figures. All three of them are tragic figures. And you have the 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 number one thing you have to have for a tragic figure is he has to have a moral turning point where he fails. He has to have every ability to make a proper moral decision and fail. When you make a character heroic in nature... He also has to have a fatal flaw. Yeah, he can't be tragic if he doesn't have a flaw like that or if he doesn't have a moment like that, you know? All tragedies, basically, Frankenstein is a brilliant tragedy. All Shakespeare is a brilliant tragedy unless it's written to be a comedy. But you I like the end of that heroic. Kenneth Branagh one where he's like, I can bring my girlfriend back to life. All I do is have to put stitches on her face. Yeah. Well, see, I put stitches and, on her. And all awesome. of that is completely no made sense. up. I'm, I'm sure they thought that was brilliant, but all of that is, I say made up as though the book Frankenstein really happened. But what I mean is all that is embellishment upon, you know, the original source material. And I think they lost Wait, you mean you something. can't just put some stitches on them and someone them and bring them back to life? <laughs> no, but 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 everything else that happened oh, really? in the book is true, a hundred percent. But what I think is there well, are a lot I of mean, old decisions made in that book that they've never they've never managed to get in a movie. And I think another thing that's a that 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 kills filmmakers is the concept of the Bride of Frankenstein is just too cool. They can't ever get past that idea. When you have the idea of making a girl Frankenstein, you cannot talk these guys out of actually getting her on screen. They can't get yeah, past You can have it. a chick with big hair and white streaks. It'll yeah. be awesome. I think she's awesome. I love The Bride of Frankenstein. I get she's it. It's a very interesting design. But James Whale's a very interesting filmmaker. He was awesome. Gods and Monsters is a pretty cool movie. It is good. But I think given that, they just can't get past it, and that's what always kills them. You probably, and I don't know, has there ever been a Frankenstein film directed by a female director? I don't know. But I really think that's what it is. You got to get these boys past the point of wanting to see a girl Frankenstein, because they they lose the point. I think you need someone that can empathize with the position of Mary Shelley and what she's trying to tell. She does it brilliantly because she's telling the story from a male perspective, so you don't even know that's what's going on. That's what's being told to you. But when you start putting it in that perspective when you start looking at it from her point of view and what she's trying to say and plus you know the character of frankenstein i really think is is, is sort of a satirical version of percy shelley because she's surrounded by these men that she believes you know she either believes they're brilliant or she believes they believe it and in the shadow well, of these yeah. men she's created this protagonist who is brilliant but flawed in in every way that is that's really legitimate as a human Mainly being. in the way of ego. Yeah, where he has this ego and this ability, but but he doesn't have the ability to be a, a loving human being or a, a full human being. He just has this amazing talent and this amazing brilliance to him. And when you really start thinking, that's what she felt like she was in. I mean, she wrote Frankenstein as a to show them that she could be like them. And I think, in a way, she wrote it about them. It was a culture very restrictive to women and women's talents, where they, they honestly believed that women weren't as intelligent as men and weren't capable, as capable as men. Yeah, well, I think she really tapped into something 
to show them. I, and I, and I would like to see, you know, I don't know what the reaction to her in her time for, for Frankenstein was. Obviously, it's become a classic book now. But you wonder those guys, if they ever... I feel like she wrote it for people like that. And I don't know if she mm. ever got the return on that investment. So anyway, there's an interesting duality to me in that, in that it, I do agree that, that there's an element to it that is about the 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 potential horrors of childbirth and how it can go wrong. But I also think that in making a, a male protagonist like that, that she was also saying something about the supposedly ingenious men and their flaws. The first edition of the book was published anonymously. How interesting. See, Yeah, most women had to publish anonymously back then. Not to, th- not to those guys, of course. They knew she wrote it. But that is interesting. I want to say, hang on just a second. What is it? More cockroaches? <laughs> it's a cockroach invasion. <laughs> no, I'm retrieving a book <laughs> this time. I'm not... I don't just step away from the show to kill things in the library. I actually do look at books. Should we just talk amongst ourselves? No, I was trying to find... There are actually notes that she wrote before the book goes... And I wanted to say that she actually... I do like... They make a lot of mention of Paradise Lost in the book, too, by the way. That, And I think that's telling to create what we were talking about, that sort of man versus his creator that feeling of abandonment because that's what a paradise lost is essentially about too and he makes some references in the book where he says he read it and he gets he gets that you know he identifies with the the character eh, I, I was going to see I thought at some point there was a mention of if she actually had a not anonymously but some kind of pseudonym which was more common at the time but I don't see it if it's mentioned here. I'm not seeing it at a glance. I don't think so. I think we probably know about that. Well, yeah, you never know what you know until you know it. Oh well. The point being, I think I, I think we covered that pretty well. Hey, oh, while we're point. on the subject of of the bride, you know, Clancy Brown makes a pretty awesome Johnny drama. Checking Johnny drama database. Johnny Drama, Eddie Birds. Congratulations, Johnny. I have drama. There is the man. There is the legend. But only one who walks a certain career path has earned the right to become known as a real-life Johnny Drama. Thank you, God. Victory! Nancy Brown? Oh, yeah. Clancy Brown? He played the... He was the Kurgan. He was the main bad guy in the Highlander movie. He was also in uh, Buckaroo Banzai, which is a classic. Shawshank Redemption. He was in the the Carnival, if you ever got a chance to see that show on HBO. He was the main baddie in that. Oh, that that was really good. Yeah, he's awesome. Carnival, that was brilliant. So he's awesome. He's in a show now where he's playing a lawyer, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. I just love to see him working. I think he's great. I know. I'd like to see him as a good guy in more things. I know he's got what could be considered a, a sinister sort of countenance that, that they always want to make him a bad guy. But I could really see him. I, I, I find him to be a very sympathetic something about. He played a cool character yeah. in an episode of Enterprise one time. 
Well, there he you was go. Like a, he was like an Arabian type alien guy, you know. He was also well, in. He's uh, in Enterprise. He's got Greg's vote. He was in Pet <laughs> Cemetery too, lest we forget. Starship Troopers. <laughs> Starship oh, yeah. Troopers. That's right. He's uh, in Starship, Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. The man's got the chops. We haven't we haven't called out a Johnny Drama in a while, so we need well, one. Well, Clancy Brown, he is well deserved. Of the, of the, More power to you, Clancy. Johnny Drama. I think he's great. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I'm glad we had this opportunity. We've been talking about Frankenstein forever and how we're going to do an episode, and I feel like we're we're finally doing it justice. So I'm glad that we've had this opportunity. <laughs> I'm allowing you, what do you guys think to do about... justice. I'm just sitting here being quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Greg. I'm okay. I want to know what you guys think about the reanimator as a, as a type of Frankenstein reimagining. Well, it's clearly... Uh, obviously, Herbert West in the reanimator films. I have actually haven't read the original H.P. Lovecraft stories. I think I read the first one, but it wasn't very much like the movie. But... Obviously, there's a Frankenstein. He's a he's a typical, you know, and I love Jeffrey Combs. But he's a typical mad scientist character in that. I actually taught. Speaking of Pet Cemetery, we just mentioned the second one a minute ago, but I always took Reanimator as being very similar to Pet Cemetery too, because it was like where you know not to do it, but then you just, you lose someone and you get so grief-stricken that you do it anyway and they come back a monster. (laughs) I think the interesting thing about Reanimator is that they allow the mad scientist to be morally ambiguous by making him a secondary character, not the main character. They do bring in an access character in those where you've got Herbert West who is obviously, you know, amoral. He does not care. And then they bring in, they always, and they've done several movies, but they, they do always bring in a character to be with him who does have a moral background, but then he falls in love with a girl and the girl dies, and that's always what brings it, him back in, in in more and more gruesome ways. And it may or may not have I love that dead cat. That's that an awesome bit. Beyond Reanimator had a dancing penis in it. I don't know. If, yeah, you mentioned that yeah, at so, length. So that at length. <laughs> you mentioned the penis at length. Junk I loved. But so there's that. It's so just they not have, fun to talk about that without Brooks here to get offended. A serious, yeah. We're doing what we can. I'm just not offended by that. <laughs> it's it's hard, yeah. If Brooks was here, I could offend him with any number of things, but. You know? Yeah, it's a shame, you know. We've we've really lost that with Brooks because we haven't brought in anybody else with his sensibilities. Of all the guest <laughs> hosts we have, it's hard to find another Brooks. We didn't know what we had. Guess we shouldn't have killed him. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's still got him. He's going through his again. own stage of... <laughs> He's going through his own Frankenstein stage right now. <laughs> we need a Frankenbrooks. Frankenbrooker. <laughs> we'll make a we'll make a Frankenbrooks. <laughs> He's alive. He's alive. Yeah. Now I know what it's like to be God. <laughs> sweater pants. Sweater pants. <laughs> I created sweater pants. I've created Vampire baby turbine. I do feel like doing that every time I make anything, no matter how insignificant. It's just wheeling it out. It's like it's not oh, everything. Oh, me too. I finished. 
The other day I finished a really long script that I've been working on for hours and I was like, I'm alive! I felt kind of dead though. <laughs> it was actually kind of sad. Whenever I yeah, it's just on me computer. running around the house. Not everything's a eureka moment. You can't just <laughs> run around naked just because you did anything. A lot of times when I fix stuff on the computers at work. I didn't say I was if naked. I, if I accomplish something, I go, I am invincible! <laughs> I am invincible. I was thinking Archimedes was naked. That was the reference. <laughs> Just saying, when you run down the street naked, and covered back in to the water, boobs again. Going, Eureka! Oh no! People are like, well, I was imagining Archimedes when I said it, so I was just thinking fat Italian guy with man boobs. He probably did have them, but it wasn't. That's not my flavor. <laughs> it's not the way you roll. <laughs> yeah, really. I discovered water displacement. It's like, well, you're 300 pounds. You were bound to at some point. <laughs> I don't know how was big. Was that comedian the one that was supposed to have made the death ray? Was that someone else? No, that's Tesla made a death ray. A little after Archimedes' time. Speaking of 300 pounds, did you hear about Kevin Smith? No. <laughs> what? What, is, what happened? He got kicked off an airplane. <laughs> he got what? He got he what? Kicked, he got kicked off an airplane for... For being fat? For being too big to fit in the seat. Oh, my God. Really? Why didn't they just get yeah. him an extra seat? How oh, embarrassing. Yeah, you're rich. Isn't that buy what they're supposed seats. to be That's doing these days? That's what fat people are supposed to do. Well, apparently, I mean, he didn't want to buy two seats. Well, that's his problem because he's a fat millionaire. Oh, that's sad. You can afford two seats. People always think <laughs> I look like him. I can fit in an airplane. I guess you can feel superior then. That's right. Yeah, I don't have to buy two seats. Big I'm always shot. Warned, I, I'm always an worried that my time's coming on that one. One of these days I'm going to get in the plane and they're going to be like, sir, you need to buy another seat. Oh, no. I'm not to that point. I'll tell you that. I'm not, I'm not going that out. That would be a horrible, horrible moment. I ain't going down moment. like that. <laughs> I'm not going down that route. Yeah. I'm on a diet at the moment. <laughs> I ain't going out like And my wee still says I'm perfect. Bitch. <laughs> but anyway, the airline has apologized and like offered him a hundred dollar credit. <laughs> <laughs> the next time your fat ass wants to fly. How <laughs> sad. It's Here's not really their fault if he's too big for their Yeah, thing. it isn't their fault, you know. And, and I'm not saying it's his fault, whatever. I don't care. But you know, it, the, the seat's a certain size. You know how big the seat is. <laughs> I mean, if you don't fit the math, that's not their fault. It's like people who can't fit in theater seats or roller coasters or whatever. You can't sue. They can't make lounges just for fat people. We can't have obese seating, and this this is America. It's becoming it's it's literally a growing problem. <laughs> but you, we can't just be making the seats bigger for because that means it's like okay, yeah, we're doing the math. Okay, the seats are bigger. We can have more fat people. I know it's not as many people, but the, we have more people who eat more, so maybe that evens out. But whatever. How about the skinnies? You know, gotta think about a little. Well, do you people think they too. should make fat seats? A few fat seats at the back, just you know, some lounges or something, just, just at the back of the plane, just. But then you know, you, you what do you where do you draw the line? Because then you make some fat seats, and then you know, a skinny person wants to sit in a fat seat, and they're like, oh no, you can't sit in a fat seat because you know you can take a skinny seat. It's like, what if there's not another seat? And then you got to start making decisions about things. And <laughs> well, isn't there a line? Exciting one that somebody's fat enough. Isn't there a yeah, line really. where obesity becomes a disability? Well, Would, wouldn't that, that be the line? Some people think that. But but so far they have not won that argument and and I'm glad. 
Because I'll, I'll say this is a guy who's who smoked cigarettes at some point or another. You know what I'm saying? You know where people walk by going, <coughs> they're on their way to McDonald's. They're 300 pounds. It's like, yeah, I'll see you dead first. I guarantee it. <laughs> Not because of secondhand smoke either, because of firsthand beef. Have you ever said that to anybody? Now if yeah, I John, verbatim. I'm still not convinced. <laughs> I'm still going to cough if I walk past word. you. I hope you die, fatty. That's what I said. <laughs> no, but because I don't look down on people for how they eat, but I don't tell them how to do their other stuff. What I don't understand is, like, you know, all of a sudden, like, if someone said smoking was a disability in America, like, people would be up in arms like, what? You know, but then some people will also say that obesity is... <laughs> you know, a disability. They're still the product of choices. If it's your choice to eat whatever you want to eat, then that's that's fine. And if it's your choice to want to smoke or drink or whatever, that's fine. Just don't come back at the end of things saying that you should be where the bar is set and someone else shouldn't be. Yeah, but the people with McDonald's don't take the fat and smash it in your face like smokers do. I don't know that. that well, in America, smokers can't smoke anywhere. So I'm not sure. Not anywhere? I'm not sure that's true. Not and anywhere. And who are these people walking through the street coughing at you? I don't know. Well, you can smoke on the street <laughs> in most places. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I'm I'm outside, so they walk by me to go to McDonald's, and then they're mad at me. It's like, I didn't tell you to go to McDonald's. What if they're not going to McDonald's? Have you seen, like, the smoke bubbles in the airport? Are they allowed to cough then? No, they're not allowed to cough anyway because they're not legitimately coughing. They're just making a point. This didn't literally happen to me. I'm just saying it was an example. Because so. <laughs> so I cough lying. all the time near smoke because it's usually because of the secondhand smoke killing me. Uh, well, well I have to say, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the secondhand smoke either. Because so, it is annoying if you're... Um, I guess we'll just and all agree. I just think smokers realize just, just, just how bad it smells. I mean, smokers are fine because you've got all of your um, smelling senses killed by all of that smoke. We don't. But to me, it's like it's a matter of I don't think people should smoke in inappropriate places. But you're out at a bar, you're standing on a sidewalk somewhere. You know, it's not like you know. A lot of smoke. Twenty years ago, people were yeah. Well, we're allowed to smoke in bars as long as all they do is serve alcohol. In in in. Uh, See, I'm not going to America. In Georgia, well, it's a whole different thing. I'm just saying, if there's a smoking place and someone's smoking there, then let it go. But if they're like in the middle of like the waiting room in a delivery room in the hospital or something, that's inappropriate. <laughs> but I'm just saying, people go do their thing where they go do it. If they're if they're out of place doing it, that's a whole other thing. It's so sad at the Atlanta airport to see the smokers. Because you, oh man, that smoking quote unquote lounge is the saddest place. It's on a glass Earth. box. <laughs> you get, that's that's you where go, I'm you glad go into I'm the glass a, box and you smoke. That's where I'm glad I'm not a real smoker. It's like if we drink or whatever we're at a bar, I'll I'll smoke a cigarette or whatever. But you know, you can tell those places are the people that have to have it because it really is just like this desolate hole. That they've walled off, and people are just sitting inside it, and it's full of smoke. That is sad. Did you hear about the controversy about um, they were giving smokers five-minute breaks every hour to have a smoke, and then the non-smokers got annoyed because they didn't get five-minute breaks every hour? Which I agree with, because, like I said, I'm not a diehard smoker. I don't smoke at work, but I have worked with people like where they would walk out like once an hour to smoke a cigarette. It's like, look, you know. 
I don't want to break every hour, but don't don't ever come down on me about what I'm doing if every time I turn around, some guy's standing out in the parking lot. Now, I, I totally can't talk. agree I'm with that. I'm taking a two-hour break to do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, really. So maybe we're all just a bunch of hypocrites. That's possible. <laughs> I'm down with that. <laughs> if this show's established anything, that's probably one of that's probably it. So did you guys but, deal with Frankenstein appropriately? I I I you, feel you like you think we're finished. Oh, I don't. Well, I was just, well, I was wondering. I, I I know it was been so hard to to connect on Frankenstein over the past several months. I feel so I like, wanna, we, like you know we covered it. Pretty well. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I'm not, I think we've had some good discussions. we're there, done, so. but yeah, I feel like for at least a year now, I've been wanting to have one good conversation about Frankenstein. So hopefully, hopefully, and I'm probably the only other person who's read the book. No, <laughs> Professor Dave probably has. He's a professor. Yeah, the, the professor has probably read Frankenstein. So I got an Xbox. Oh yeah. You drank the Kool-Aid. Woo! I did get an Xbox. I did buy Left for Dead. <laughs> we were, we were, we were rocking some Left for Dead. That is an awesome you game. You don't mind yet? No, I haven't moved up to that yet. But but I would like to. I may go ahead and make the jump to get a hard drive because just Left for Dead is that that R-rated one? Left. For, well, it is R-rated, but it's a, it's the zombie one that we were talking about before. Because there is an R-rated zombie game that I cannot get in Australia because they will not import R-rated games. What? They just they Your have a system country? of censorship. Oh my god. They have a system of censorship whereby it's like the movies in the old days. They don't have R ratings. If it's too violent, they will not allow it into the country. Socialist. Can you you can't even buy it on eBay? How do they know? Oh, I guess we could, but I mean, they're not importing What's it. What's it called? Is it left? I don't know. Left it's a fun zombie game. Some of my friends are going on about it. Left 4 Dead's the only zombie I game I know be. of that's of any that's any good. Like yeah, it's a, it's one of those ones that's like big R-rated zombie game where people kill people a lot. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I also got let you let out those little frustrations without actually killing anyone. I did also get the Ghostbusters game, which you could probably get in Australia. Did we talk about this before? Well, if I ever get an Xbox. Well, they made a Ghostbusters game so. that has all of the original cast doing voices. Like, yeah, I remember I read about that, and Sigourney Weaver was like, I'm not going in it, and then they, they well, showed her how cool it was, and she's like, maybe I should have. Yeah, and who cares? Like, Rick Moranis didn't want to be in it. That, that just makes them seem lame when you've got, like, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, you know, uh, Ernie Hudson's in it, Harold Ramis is in it. The big BM. They're the big yeah. ones. Yeah, Bill Murray oh, is in it. I mean, speaking of, speaking of cameos that we don't want to ruin, I did watch Zombieland the other day. I did love it. <laughs> it's great fun. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, that was really, really good. That was a fun. That was a fun cameo because it shows you not to sneak up on people and pretend to be a zombie, which you would think is common sense. Yeah, that was, that was a really stupid thing to do. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh, that guy's gonna get shot. That's a fun movie. I should go out and buy that. And then he doesn't really even care. He he's just going out on a joke, and they just you know like he just dies, and he's like, oh, it's alright, it's not your fault. <laughs> That's, I shouldn't have snuck up on you like a zombie. That's what made it work. They didn't even try to make it seem like it should be serious. That's what made the whole movie work. Yeah, well, it wasn't trying to be one of those scary zombie movies. It was just a funny movie that happened to have yeah. zombies in it. It was a zombie. <laughs> zombie. Like Fido. Zombie. We're still working on the acronym for that. Zombie. Well, these days everyone's doing rom-com zoms. Rom-com zoms, yeah. <laughs> it's a zomcom. 
You know, zombies falling in love. <laughs> a romantic terrible. zombie. But no, Zombie Land was good. But that guy, that kid, he's always a in Melozama. movies with theme parks in them, amusement parks. He's always in movies with what? He was in in with theme parks. Park. Yeah, he, it, with the word land in it. Wouldn't it? Adventureland is the the name of this. Adventureland. He was he in was that. In. He wasn't. That wasn't a very good movie. It's okay, but, but it, it's definitely one of those coming of age type movies where he falls in love with a girl that you just want to smack. I want to smack her all the time because. Well, she's now that horrible. she's in Twilight, she's just got it coming no matter what she does. I thought I like the girl. I, used to I think don't think she's, she's a great actor at all. Well, she. She's not as cute as she used to it's be. It's kind of funny. Why are we back to cute girls again? <laughs> it's kind of funny. You brought well, it actually, up. I think she's physically attractive, <laughs> but I think it's she kind of telling that, she, that she played like Jodie Foster's daughter in a movie because she's doing that same thing that that Jodie Foster sort of invented this concerned face for every movie, and that's what she's sort of got this this concerned face whenever you when it, her. I, I always think of it as her acting face. It's like whenever they're trying to do something, it's like she looks so I'm using concerned. My it's like, well, that's oh, not that, the um, only expression that you can have. You know, when you're acting, there's all there's a range of emotions. Um, what's it? The dude who played in X Men Wolverine, Hugh Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Whenever he's doing acting, he he has these really weird expression he does with his eyebrows, especially when he's Wolverine. They're like, he does this wriggly thing with his eyebrows when he's Wolverine. When he's in there, normally he has normal eyebrows, but when he's being acting, he has these weird <laughs> eyebrows. Well, that's his, he's, he's an eyebrow he's actor. He's action acting. When he's, those are when he's trying to play a tough guy, he has tough guy eyebrows. Wolverine yeah, is trying know. to gritty. He does gritty eyebrows. <laughs> a little pointy eyebrows, yeah. I guess. Yeah, where he bares his teeth yeah. a lot and kind of makes his face wrinkle as much as it can so people don't think he's a pretty boy. It's not working. <laughs> he's a Broadway dancing drama queen. He works as Wolverine. It's true. I think he's a good Wolverine. He's a little tall, but he's a good Wolverine. Yeah, he's too tall for just, Wolverine, but he plays it well. He plays it. That's not his fault he's tall. The, the recent movie was pretty bad, but... Well, that's not his fault either. And I won't say the movie's unwatchable, well, was, but you can tell it's sort of kid-oriented. Because it's a fun well, movie. Well, he was the driving force behind the movie. He was the one that wanted to make it kid-orientated. Is that true? Well, then, you know, maybe he well, is. that's a, what he says in interviews. He is a dancing queen, then. <laughs> He's the boy from Oz. Yeah, that goes back to... I think to you should do more singing and dancing roles. Well, like, stop, being, stop trying to be a tough guy. Yeah, if that's, yeah, if that's where singer. you're going, don't, don't try to pretend to be tough and then not do dancing roles. And then everybody's Ewan McGregor. Gregor, Ewan McGregor can just, just dance and sing and do whatever and yeah, so can the Rock. Be a Jedi. He's still very lovable. Yeah, and he doesn't even. And he is a pretty boy, but he doesn't come off as a pretty boy. I don't know why he's not more intimidating. I think it's his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jackman's not perfect either, but whatever <laughs> would you do him at the very end we have a hot or not guy version at least we're he's, talking about guys he's got a weird nose jackman he's got a skinny kind of long nose if i was gonna jump that fence not sure yeah i got, i'd say i definitely would go for you mcgregor oh yeah definitely jackman. what about the rock i the think rock. i think hugh jackman he's too beefy yeah, he's, i don't like yeah. beefy i don't like big guys i don't want to be manhandled I like you, McGregor. He's got, he's got <laughs> thin in his side, though. You know, he plays like the tooth yeah. fairy. And, 
all these cute, cute little movies. Even, like, yeah, even when you're doing man oh, on yeah. man, you still want to feel like you could take him. You don't want to. You don't be overpowered. But Ewan looks like he's probably shorter than me, even though he's playing action roles. So I he could just probably, seems like I could a probably take guy, him if I had to. You know. Yeah, he also seems like he'd be a little bit more sensitive to the, the Rock. I know. He seems like he'd bring you flowers the next day. Yeah, The Rock does family movies and stuff like that. That's fine, but you know, at the end of the day, he used to be a wrestler and he used to say a lot of unkind things. And uh, <laughs> I don't want someone that I know could pin me. I don't me. want to have. I don't saying. want anybody I have to fix. Yeah. Plus, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to feel like the lady either. <laughs> I want a little equality in the in the in the situation. So, so there's that. So that's why I don't like beefy men manhandling me. Fair enough. Yeah. We'll keep, Good to we'll know. Keep that in mind. <laughs> Next time I try to set you up with someone, I won't set you up with a beefy man. Yeah, I'll set you up with a little Scotsman. <laughs> that's what you said you like. With blue hair. Yeah. Who can sing? <laughs> I don't apologize. Well, now we know He's your type. I want to feel pretty. I want to feel pretty. I don't apologize. I know my worth. <laughs> and then, and this is as good a time as any to know that we have wrung it dry. <laughs> I don't think we're talking about Frankenstein anymore. Frankenstein. Would you do Boris Karloff? Uh, He's pretty big. I don't like, yeah, I'm not with that either. He's creepy in Old Dark House. Have you seen Old Dark House? He's creepy in that. Mm-mm. No, I'd get that. I haven't. I haven't even heard of that. Really? Have you mentioned that before? Maybe you mentioned I may well it have. before. I would. I'd get that. I just got Touch of Evil I've on seen DVD. It. It's, it's um. That's the first time I've ever seen Touch of Evil, and I thought it was pretty, pretty awesome. That's uh, so the old Orson Welles film. Oh yeah. Mm. Haven't heard of it. It's a good one. It's it's got some drawbacks. Charlton Heston plays a Mexican, which is a little weird. And you Charlton want, Heston's always a drawback. And you want to slap him because he makes no good decisions in the movie. It's one of those movies where the guy leaves the lady stranded somewhere for bad things to happen to her. And of course, oh, man, I wish I wish those ladies back in those by... days to just kick ass like they do these days. I know she talk. It's Janet Lee. <laughs> she talks all tough, but then she crumbles when the reefer heads come after her. That's another problem with the movie where That's they're all that. smoking reefer, so they're of course crazy, like they're like I don't know <laughs> meth addicts or something. Well, that was one of the things I liked about Zombieland. Those girls were in charge. Oh yeah, they were always until they made the this. stupid decision of getting on that. Getting on that turning the out turn amusement on all park on then? and then getting on the the tallest ride was not necessarily the best. Yeah, thing. it's like, well, that's going to come back down at some point, ladies. That's not going to be the safest place for you. Yeah, this. Yeah, that was pretty stupid. That was just there to make him have to rescue them, and that's what I hate about ladies in movies because they they always have to do something stupid so some man can rescue them. It's lame. Yeah, that, I'll, I'll agree with that. Because I don't think those girls would have done that. They didn't seem like that stupid. Yeah, I guess that's a device when you think about it. They have to come up with some reason for him to become a hero, and, and writers just aren't good. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, writers just aren't very good at getting themselves into the situation they think they want to be I in. I found a list of Frankenstein movies. Go off, because I bet I've seen some of them, but not nearly half well, of these them. Well, are, these are ones put out by Universal Pictures. Uh, Frankenstein, 1931. 
Bride of Franken- Frankenstein, 1935. Son of Frankenstein, oh, of 1939. Yes. The Ghost of Frankenstein, 1942. Mm-hmm. 42. Mm-hmm. I own all these movies. Frankenstein Meets the Wolf. Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. I have seen that. I don't own it because it's actually part of the Wolfman Legacy Collection. Most of the original Frankenstein movies are part of the legacy collection of Frankenstein, all the way up through House of Frankenstein. Yeah. House of Frankenstein, 1944. Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman is part of the Wolfman legacy collection, and I haven't had a chance to get that What about that House, of, House of Dracula, 1945? I'm sure that's part of the... Uh, probably the Dracula. Abbott and Costello meet... House of Frankenstein, Frankenstein has <laughs> Dracula in it, but it's John Carradine playing him. Oh, that doesn't count. They, they did a lot of switch-ups. Because the, the when you you got of course Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein you got Boris Karloff, and then Son of Frankenstein Boris Karloff plays the creature, and Bella Lugosi plays Igor, and then in the f- Igor's another thing they made up in the movies that wasn't in the book. Igor's a weird thing, isn't he? Yeah, he is a weird thing because there, yeah, there's nothing remotely like Igor. I guess that's when they did when they went full mad scientist. the the uh, ev- The evolution of the mad scientist character really happened was solidified with the creation of Igor. Because when you have that creepy sort of, you know, character, I don't Game even. Master. I don't even. Igor's not even the first Frankenstein film, though. I don't think. I have to go back and look because I certainly not Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi plays him in in two of the films. He plays uh, in. In Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein. Yeah, he's got that broken neck. But in Ghost of Frank, yeah, he's pretty creepy because he's been hanged and he has a broken neck and he has like a bone jutting out, which is pretty creepy for those old movies. In Ghost of Frankenstein, you don't have uh, Boris Karloff anymore. Lon Chaney is playing the creature. And then in House of Frankenstein, Lon Chaney Jr. is coming back. He's playing... The Wolfman, so he can't play the creature, so then Lugosi plays the creature. And so you've got uh, John Carradine playing Dracula. It's the weirdest switch-up of all movies, because you have all these awesome, like, iconic characters, but they're none of them being played, except for the Wolfman, by, like, the originator. Have any of you of seen the the, any of the Hammer films? Frankenstein's. I used when I was a kid. I used to watch the old Christopher Any of the Franken. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any of the Hammer Frankenstein ones. I can't remember a Hammer Frankenstein. There was. But there are a, a lot of them. There was a good Frankenstein, and it maybe it was the Frankenstein: The True Story, where apparently David Prowse played. The it monster was like twice. a BBC. It was like a BBC kind of Frankenstein. And that was the closest probably I've ever seen to the original book, because the the creature was cultured. Have you seen I Was a Teenage French Frankenstein? No, I've seen I Was a Teenage Werewolf, a Teenage Frankenstein. I love how they just start cranking them out. Apparently, in the end, the monster breaks loose, frees Frankenstein to his own alligator, and electrocutes himself. Oh, well, that's just like the book. Who knew? Frankenstein has an alligator. That is word for word. <laughs> So at least we've got that going for us. I literally, and I still have a bunch of them in my Netflix queue. I started just pouring Frankenstein movies in the Netflix queue, trying to see as many of them as I could. Frankenstein meets the space monster? <laughs> That's probably in the queue somewhere. That sounds familiar. 
Apparently that's a bad sci-fi movie involving neither Frankenstein nor his monster. Those are annoying where they just start using names. Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen that either. There's a Frankenstein's daughter. It's apparently Frankenstein's granddaughter, not his daughter, but... Well, that would make more sense. It's not easy to do a family tree of the Frankensteins. Well, if you watch the original movies, it is kind of funny because you've got, after Bride, they had Son of Frankenstein, so he's got a son that they also try to get involved in his work. And then in Ghost of Frankenstein, he's got another son that they bring in. So the Frankenstein family in the movies is is pretty dastardly, but apparently smart. <laughs> Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell? Sounds it's another Hammer one. Yeah, it's the last of the Hammer one, starring David Prowse, who played also played Darth Vader, as the monster. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Of course, he was as the monster. Yeah. Well, David Prowse was the guy in the suit, so yeah. He is neither pictured he did when a good they job in that suit. when they unmasked Darth Vader. He is neither pictured there, nor is he the voice of Darth Vader. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy. He's coming to like Dragon Con every year and charging twenty dollars an autograph. Twenty dollars. Basically, hell, being like fifty dollars. Yeah, whatever. So essentially, the man is a walking mannequin, <laughs> and he's made a career. There's a young Frankenstein. Oh, well, of course, we've all seen that. Frankenstein created. Uh, have woman. you seen? I co- Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> Apparently, according to the um, uh, encyclopedia I'm reading, Victor Frankenstein is a painstakingly careful recreation of the original. Although beautifully made, it tends to be plodding because of its fidelity. Uh, in particular, the original's concerned with the miseries of the creature. So if you want to see one that's really close to the plot, it's Victor Frankenstein. It's an Irish-Swedish movie from 1975. Yeah, I never heard of that one. I'm not sure I can stomach another Frankenstein, to be honest with you. I have watched so many of these movies. So we'll just have to see. <laughs> one that's not close to the to the novel is Frankenstein's Island. Frankenstein's Island sounds cool, though. Frankenstein's Island. A balloon party is blown adrift and arrives on an island. 73. That sounds pretty awesome. Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks? Monster Squad. I saw that one. Yeah. That's Tom Noonan. (laughs) That's not on my list. (laughs) Maybe it should be. (laughs) Wolfman has nards. (laughs) <laughs> Monster what? Squad did just recently in the last year or two get re- a special edition released on DVD I never was a huge fan Tom Noonan did play the, the main bad guy in Robocop 2 though that matters and, he, and in Manhunter he was pretty scary in Manhunter in Young Frankenstein for some reason Young uh Young Frankenstein is going to Transylvania and finds his <laughs> grandfather's equipment. Transylvania? Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. A 1984 BBC version starring, starring Robert Powell as Victor, David Warner as his creature, and Carrie Fisher as the doomed Elizabeth. Uh, I never saw that. The when? 19... 1984. 84, that's not on my list. Apparently, TNT Network here in America. Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid, yeah. And Patrick Bergen as, as 
Frankenstein. I have seen that one. I, 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 what I remember of it, I thought it was pretty good, but I don't remember if it's any more accurate. I remember it came out around the same time as the Kenneth Branagh theatrical adaptation. I love it. Oh, when I have so. you heard of Frankenstein's great aunt Tilly? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not. That's one that they say have been omitted from the list because the pool of Frankenstein movies is virtually bottomless and they can't discuss every movie, like Frankenstein's great aunt Tilly, made in Mexico. <laughs> Frankenstein. You know, Frankenstein never weighed in on any of these luchador films, as far as I know. The luchador seems like they were always fighting Dracula or the Wolfman. But I never saw them square off against Frankenstein. It seems like well, yeah, from a film, wrestling, John. yeah, from a wrestling perspective, it seems like Frankenstein's the one you want to take on. He's the most imposing, you know, just from as far as physique. In the video for well, her that... 1983 song "Telephone Long Distance Love Affair," Sheena Easton is pursued through a haunted house by Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> oh, Sheena Easton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Huey Lewis plays Frankenstein's monster in uh, the Stuck With You video. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, what's up? Is it on the list here? Frankenstein, the college years. <laughs> <laughs> we had to matriculate somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, Huey Lewis is on the list here. That's cool. <laughs> awesome. Frankenstein, Frankenstein drag queens from Planet 13. Well, we're mentioning it. You know who did an awesome Frankenstein? Remember when they used to do those sketches on Saturday Night Live and it was Phil Hartman as Frankenstein? Yeah. And they, they used would do to sing like Frankenstein, Christmas. Tonto, and, and who else? Um... I missed the monster Tarzan. Mash. It was a Tarzan. Yeah. They had Kevin Nealon as Tarzan. They had John John Lovitz as, as Tonto and Phil Hartman would be <laughs> would be Frankenstein and they would try to get them to say things or sing or something. Yeah, they were singing Christmas like, carols ah! one time. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. Fire bad. That is pretty awesome. <laughs> what would we do without Frankenstein? He's definitely the coolest. Frankenstein's the man. Actually, he's many men. He's the men. <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, I think we're done. I guess that's. I guess uh, we covered it. Then. I gotta get back to work. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Pretty soon. Well, thank you for taking this long lunch hour to talk Frankenstein with us. When is the attic video going to come out? Oh, if I can get some free time. I've got some more video to capture. We also recently recorded a video, another video podcast with, with my friend Dane, which literally was, was a literal video podcast because it's the first time we've actually just filmed the process of recording a podcast. So, Well, that should so, be interesting. Yeah, sounds like a blast. <laughs> but... But it should be fun. I'm going to try to do something with that as well. So we have a video, audio, podcast, like simulcast or whatever. Yeah, I can't wait to see that one because apparently you're going to animate a version of me, right? We're gonna, Yeah, we're going to have to do that because we we tried to get some video of Greg coming in and it didn't work out. So we tried to come Use up with some Use the Star Wars solutions. version, the one on the shirts. That would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> come up with some of that. Just have my so mouth we've got move. some options. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a random, but not even like old bad cartoons where it doesn't even sync up. Just just a random loop. 
<laughs> of your mouth moving. That would actually be funny. And I yeah, mean, that'd be good. You should do that for all the episodes. It was a fun idea just because Dane lives in the same town as I do, so having two of us in a room together to record seemed like it was a fun opportunity to do some video. But we'll find out if that's true or not. But but I am working on, on the attic video, and, and hopefully I'll get a patch of daylight where I can start getting some real progress on that as well. Because you've been teasing that for a while. We're still wondering what you guys found in that attic. <laughs> It can only be disappointing. <laughs> oh, What's oh, it? Sean! I would what? like to say I would like to say that I re-listened to the zombie episode and it is good. Oh, you the were zombie last war. Time that, yeah, that, actually, that I was just editing well that, and everyone was talking about how they'd never even listened to it. It's <laughs> like okay. Well, I re-listened to it and I had much enjoyment. So. I thought the zombie Kudos. episode was really good, like the survival guide zombie thing. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. The, the most recent one. Yeah. yeah. The the the. The zombie war. Yeah. Where did you get that song from? The one where you're all, um, uh, he's talking about eating someone's brains. It's a good song. Oh, what is the name of that dude? I should plug him because, uh. Yeah, because I've been wanting to try and see if I could find the whole song or something. And it's really funny. <laughs> We're not unreasonable. No one's going to eat your eyes. <laughs> it's very clever. Cause it, yeah, it does sound like, because he uses all the corporate terminology. <laughs> but here's an FYI. You're all gonna die screaming. <laughs> That's uh, not in the bit you put in the episode. Well, I don't put the whole song. I tease them, and then I hopefully I can. Well, plug that's why them, you should I'm plug it so I can go and find it. I want well, to listen to it. Jonathan Colton is his name. Jonathan Colton. How do you spell that? C O U L T O N. Is that guy's name? Maybe yeah. you should put a link on the forum too. And and I mean to do that. I'll have to do that because I, I hate to. There's no point plugging people if you don't actually plug them, but I think he's very funny. I like that song a bunch. It's very funny. But yeah, I'll try to get a link to that so that those the people who have listened to that episode will also be able to, to link and, and enjoy the I'm still the trying to get Robin Hood on YouTube so that you all can watch my our latest creation. Yeah, and what's going on with this uh the with the action rock thing? Is is has Greg come through it all for Didn't you? Didn't you get didn't you get my email? Who, me? Maybe. No, I probably... It, I, probably the last email. I missed an, a couple emails because I... I did a recording of it. Okay. Yeah, no. So Greg doesn't I'm, have to come through. You do because you've the got one the recording of... Okay, well, let me go through my stuff then. I've, I I've, sent you yeah, an email a couple Sean. of weeks ago. Damn. I'm very busy So your fault now. I haven't exactly dropped um, out. I still got to do and, a couple of t-shirt designs. Of, that I promised you. If one of the two of you can send me that bit that Greg recorded in the middle of that hundredth episode, I'll re-record it. So it, yeah, it's not that hard to, to do. <laughs> I just got it where everyone just started going. I don't know. It's pretty words. funny the way you did it in the episode. I know. I'll have when to. a man loves a woman, everyone's like, "What's Greg doing?" <laughs> yeah, really. Good times. Hundredth episode was fun. I've never heard him talk before. <laughs> That's not I true. I talk all the time. <laughs> Shut up. Who's that man? That's Greg. He's been on the show since episode one. <laughs> never heard him. What is that dusky baritone? <laughs> yeah, dusky baritone. Dusky baritone. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that has done more than wrap it up. This has been the most structured episode we've ever had. We talked about the topic. We didn't deviate. We didn't we talk about Australia, about Australia for two at hours. All. 
This is this is the most yeah. structure we've ever had. Good. We're starting to warm up to having me on the show and not talking about women all episode. Yeah, awesome. we, I don't think we used the word koala once or kangaroo. No, there you go. You've already ruined it. Well, anyway, if you want to hear more episodes of the show, you can find us at tv8mydinner.com. You can also visit us on the forum at forum.tv8mydinner.com. We'll try to get some more stuff. The holidays sort of slowed us down, but I'm trying to get back in and start posting. Brooks has been posting a lot lately, and we've been ignoring him, so that's a bit of a switch over from the norm. <laughs> but we need to. We'll get back in and do some more stuff, and I'll definitely. He's got try this to whole thread post. about these pajama jeans going. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think he's starting to miss the show, but he's too proud to admit it. I'll have to post some links to to some people like Jonathan Colton, who who I find cool on the show. Uh, I I know that there was a we mentioned the Phantom Menace review that that guy did on YouTube. He, there's an Avatar one in the movie section of the forum as well now. That's, oh, that's yeah. pretty Same funny. Guy. Same guy. Yeah, really funny. I've, I've only watched the first two of the Phantom Menace. Oh, watch them all. Them. They're, yeah. they're brilliant. He's not just very funny, but he's he's very he's very clever. He's, he he's very insightful. <laughs> and then he gets weird for no reason. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of got it all going on. He's like he's really smart, really funny, and then he kind of makes you feel a little uncomfortable for a while. <laughs> so it's a roller coaster of emotion, this guy's reviews. So watch but, those. So yeah, I'll have to mention. I got to dig up that that actual URL so I can I can't don't even know the name of the dude that does it. What else? But that's, now we just I, say our names and leave. I don't I, have a website. I, I think that's as far as we have to go at this point. I've already introduced myself, so you guys do it too. <laughs> that's Lynn. I'm Sean. And I'm Greg. That's Greg's dusky baritone for you people. <laughs> In a world. In a world. <laughs> We're Greg. Actually recorded something. <laughs> we're dusty baritones. We're outlaws. He's the most in awesome a guy in the world. In a world where Greg was no, wait. cool. That's the real world. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. That shouldn't have to be hypothetical, should it? <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Thank you for listening and good night. Uh, I'm pressing stop. Me too. This has been TV8 My Dinner. Don't forget to visit our forum at www.forum.tv8mydinner.com. crap about Frankenstein. You've read the book and seen the movie, I thought. Yeah. I read the book a long time ago, and yeah, I've seen some of the movies. My internet has gone, people. you guys playing at home, my internet has just dropped down. I've seen the Boris Karloff, and I saw that one. So they'll probably be trying to call me right now and going, why isn't she picking up? It's because uh, my internet has dropped down. Maybe she did lose her internet. Of course, I've seen Young Frankenstein. There we go. <laughs> Not Back online. Lest we forget young Frankenstein. And I should be able to call me now. Well, I guess all I can do is or continue see. to try to call her. Oh, there I am. Hello. Hey. That was my internet. Okay. Yeah, I thought so because cause if you just drop off, I can just call you right back. But it took a minute. Yeah, I you, it took me a minute to notice that it actually dropped off the internet. Well, you remember the the 
the Frankenstein that had Luke Goss, is that his name? Yes. Yes, Luke Goss, who was also in Hellboy. Right. Hellboy he was 2. The elf prince he was the elf. In the second 